You need a body shop? You need engine repair? Auto Excellence, Collision Specialists, 631-261-6420. That's 631-261-6420. Auto Excellence. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode five of the King's Bodyguard with your host, Grandmaster Dave Hebler, talking about the one and only, often imitated but never duplicated, Mr. Elvis Presley. So, Dave, getting back to some of those interesting fan questions you've received over the years, man, I'm, I'm dying to know what are, what are some of those more interesting questions that you've received? Um. <clears throat> Well, I can, I can give you, um, what I'd like to do with that is uh, I, I, I want to give you a, um, um, one of the biggest questions that uh, I've received over the years, and I still get it, with the understanding that at some point down in the road, I'm going to want to go uh, and investigate this question a little bit more in depth. If that's all right with uh, if that's all right with y'all, and um, yeah, this is kind of an interesting question. To, so, but like I said, I uh, when people send me questions, um, I um, I uh, I record the question and then I record the answer uh, in writing, which is what I'm. What I'm showing you all here is all these questions <laughs> that uh, I received, or some of them, anyhow. Uh, and I would like to address one um, that's fairly shortly, and, I, and basically, I'm just going to read it to you. Mm -hmm. That's all right, because I think I did a pretty good job of answering this one, uh, you know, in the short term. So here's the question. <clears throat> In 1976, not 1977, you, Red and Sonny, wrote the book, Elvis, What Happened? Why do you believe some fans like the book and others can't even hear about it, even after reading it? And here's my, <laughs> here's my, here's my answer. I believe that some fans like the book because they appreciate why we did it and because we told the truth. I believe then and I believe now that it is far better to be slapped in the face with the truth than be kissed on the lips with a lie. You see, there is beauty in truth. 
even if it's painful. Those who lie twist life so that it looks trust to the lazy, brilliant to the ignorant, and powerful to the weak. But lies only strengthen our deficits. They don't teach anything. They don't fix anything or cure anything. Nor do they develop one's character, one's mind, one's heart, or one's soul. That's a quote by a, by a man by the name of Jose, Jose N. Harris, which I thought it was appropriate. So now to my words, I believe that some fans hated the book because they don't want to hear anything negative about someone they cared about. And some of them still don't want to hear the truth. I understand they're feeling that way, but they were not there. And because they were not there, they cannot actually know or even want to understand the truth about Elvis the person. They love Elvis the singer, Elvis the movie star, and Elvis the performer. They don't know, nor will they ever know Elvis the person. They would rather believe those who tell them sugar-coated excuses and outright lies to explain Elvis the person than understand that Elvis the person had his good points and his bad points, just like you and me. One of his bad points was that he was addicted to drugs. But that doesn't make him a bad person. It makes him a victim. Understand that Elvis was a drug addict and being addicted to drugs is a nightmare of a life to live. And pure agony for those friends and family who were trying to help him get off drugs that were killing him. I don't know if you ever had someone you cared for addicted to drugs, and I hope you never do. But if you do, you soon learn that you cannot save somebody from himself. Sadly, Elvis rejected all efforts of those trying to help and even refused to believe that he even had a problem in the first place. So many questions. Here's one a little interesting. I like, I think you'll like this one, Tim. I don't think you heard of this one. This one's from Mark. And Mark says, I am also a great fan of legendary Bruce Lee. Was Elvis aware of him? I know that you were a skilled exponent and certainly adept within the martial arts field. 
How do you think Bruce Lee would have stood up against Elvis or even you in a match against in a match against Bruce? Well, here's the answer. Yes, Elvis was aware of Bruce Lee. And since I actually did spar with Bruce on a number of occasions, I can say within the narrow confines of that particular experience, I gave as good as I got and he gave as good as he got. It was more of a fun thing. You see, when you're sparring, you're not out to kill your sparring partner. It's not a blood sport. You're even not trying, you're not trying to hurt him. It's just a challenge of sparring with somebody who has great skill. And that's what you get out of it. As for Elvis and Bruce, I will just have to speculate. Because you see, Elvis never competed in any kind of a tournament. And he never really sparred against talented martial artists, to my knowledge. Bruce Lee, on the other hand, never competed in tournaments either. But Bruce Lee was in incredible physical condition. He was an athlete, and he was strong, and he was fast. He really was a talented martial artist. Elvis Presley was the greatest entertainer that ever lived but he certainly wasn't the greatest martial artist who ever lived. And in that sense, my speculation would be that Elvis would not have stood much of a chance against Bruce. Or me either, actually. Um, and why should he be? I mean, think about it. Why should he be the greatest energy? He couldn't train like the you and I train. Right. Yeah, he couldn't. But I will say that Elvis had a good body. He could have had a great body. Uh, he had some skill. He could have acquired mm -hmm. great skill had he had the opportunity and the um, desire to do the work, you know, mm -hmm. required to become a world-class martial artist. Tim, you know, you've been around martial artists and, uh, you know, and uh, uh, people, uh, uh, pugilists and, and uh, the real deal for many years. So, you know, as I know, mm -hmm. what it takes, the dedication, the pain and the agony that you go through, um, you know, to develop your skills against uh, unwilling partners. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, only by going through that crucible 
can you really develop the kind of skills um, that are indeed world-class? Mm -hmm. And um, sort of like the kind of trials that Elvis went through to become the greatest entertainer to ever live. That took dedication and effort and time over the extended period of time that it, that it took. Now he did have amazing natural skills, which he developed to become the greatest entertainer. But he didn't have the natural skills to become uh, the greatest martial artist ever. Uh, he, he just didn't. I don't either. I don't consider myself to be the greatest martial artist that ever lived. There are a lot of people better than me. You know, uh, I did all right. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Uh, but uh, well, that's the mark of being humble because there's always somebody out there better than you, whoever it is. I mean, there's uh, a lot of people yeah. think that Chuck Norris is the greatest, but there's people out there that are, that are better than Chuck Norris, you know, but the one thing that could be said about Elvis, and I think you were telling me before, is that Elvis was probably one of the greatest promoters, ambassadors in the world in Kempo Karate, because he promoted oh. karate everywhere he went. We, those of us who are in the martial art world, and especially those of us who are in Kempo, owe a great deal of gratitude to Elvis Presley for his, um, his sponsorship, his promotion, his love for what it is that, uh, that uh, we were doing. I mean, uh, that kind of support was, uh, was incalculable. I mean, Elvis at one time wanted to form his own martial arts organization. A lot of people don't know this. Um, with me as one of the top guys running that organization, I keep saying organization because it, it, it never had a name. Um, we created a patch for that organization and that patch exists today. The patch, when uh, people see it, the TCB patch, that was created by Kang Marie, myself and Elvis. We were the three people that created that. And that patch was supposed to be the patch for the martial arts organization that Elvis wanted to uh, wanted to start, and at at uh, in the beginning he was quite serious about it. I mean, all of the footage uh, from the the gladiators and the new gladiator, all of that was designed to kick off this martial art organization that Elvis wanted to form. Sadly, that never happened. But the remnants of the of that are still around. the The DVD is still around from the Gladiators, and the um, 
The patch, of course, is still around, uh, but that's it. That's the only thing left, you know, from that uh, ambitious start, if you will. So I don't know. So Elvis is pretty much, he had never trained in martial arts prior to meeting you. So he had, I guess, a total of about, well, 72 to 76, five years of training altogether. Uh, yeah, somewhere around there. I mean, it was sporadic. He didn't, um, okay. he didn't train on a regular basis. I mean, uh, I probably gave him more lessons than anybody, mm -hmm. but that's only because I worked for him. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was there 24 seven. You know, mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, he would get a lesson every once in a while from, uh, from Ed Parker, for instance, mm -hmm. but Ed Parker didn't work for him. Mm -hmm. You know, Ed Parker described himself as a protective companion. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, um, um, you know, Elvis gifted him with, you know, lots of presents and stuff. But he, uh, but uh, uh, Ed Parker never actually worked, uh, you know, as a job for uh, for Elvis. The only martial artist that ever did was me. Right. He could have had any of the great martial artists at the time. He could have hired any of them actually, but he chose me. Mm -hmm. Oh. So like his training with um, Kang Ree, that was pretty, I guess, sporadic as well, right? Because he really didn't oh, yeah. do a whole yeah. lot under him. Oh, yeah. It was all very sporadic. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, okay. It was interesting, though, you know? Mm-hmm. So you, um, after you were his bodyguard, you decided to get out of personal protection. Now, you know, a lot of people probably would never know that you had somebody else ask you to be their bodyguard. Who, who was that? So just so the fans know, who was that person that asked you to be their, their bodyguard? Well, it was a couple of famous people. Mm -hmm. um, Jerry Lee Lewis, the killer. Mm -hmm. uh, he tried for, I don't know, a couple of weeks. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to go there. Because I know working for the killer, I'd be in a fight every day. You know. The other was uh, Waylon Jennings. But I would have had to have moved from uh, California to uh, Texas. <clears throat> and I didn't want to leave my... Uh, I didn't want to leave my daughters on a permanent basis like that. Although it would have been an interesting working for uh, Waylon, probably. Anyhow, that was the two. You still there, Tim? Lost Tim.
Anybody there? Yeah, we could just keep it going, Dave. I think we lost him for some. Oh, you want me to keep going? Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see, I got an interesting question here from um, uh, John and Catherine. And they said, why didn't Elvis perform overseas? I know he performed in Canada, but I'm talking about a world tour. Well, my answer is, uh, you got me there. I didn't know that he had performed in Canada, actually. As far as the rest of the world is concerned, I was present with Elvis at two informal meetings on this particular topic. Uh, one of them is about a year or two after the Hawaii blockbuster, Elvis was, was speaking with the producer of that show and said he would like to follow up with a world tour, all of it on satellite. An amazing idea, I thought. I mean, we're all eager to tour the world. You know, I mean, let's go, I wanna go. On another occasion, I was sitting across the table from Elvis and a very wealthy gentleman. I'm talking a billionaire and a great fan. Uh, and uh, we're having a pleasant conversation uh, when the, uh, the gentleman reached over and handed Elvis a signed blank check and said, Elvis, I am opening a new hotel overseas. And I would like for you to be the opening act for our grand opening. You can write any amount you want on that check. I was astounded. And I'm pretty sure that Elvis was taken back too. Elvis thanked the guy and then told him that he needed to talk with the Colonel about business. I have my suspicions on why neither of the two events ever came to pass, but I don't actually know. And I would prefer not to speculate on this really interesting topic. Then sometimes you get questions that are just impossible to answer. I <laughs> like this one. Uh, this one's from Adam. He said, my question to you is in regards to the aftermath of your July 76 employment termination by Vernon Presley. What, listen to this question. What happened in chronological order from the time you were fired until the Wednesday, August 17th, 77 press conference that you and Sonny delivered to the press. We're talking about a year. <laughs> Here's my answer I gave him. So Adam, you actually think that I can give you an accurate accounting of everything that took place in chronological order for the entire year of my life, 41 years ago? 
I'm flattered that you think I can do that, but frankly, I can't. And I suspect most people can't either. Obviously, we wrote the book during that time period, and I spent a lot of time with my family, but I'm pretty sure you're not interested in the details of my personal life then, are you? Just keep giving accurate information on the dates of various photos, and I'll continue to be grateful, my friend. This guy used to uh, he'd see one of our photos, and he would send me the information on where that photo took place, which was kind of interesting. Here's another one that was kind of interesting that um, you might like. It's kind of different. What was the best gig for you where everything went great and everyone had a good time? <clears throat> hmm. It had to be all of the appearances at Lake Tahoe. In my opinion, and I say this from the viewpoint of someone who went on after working for Elvis to become a pit boss and a dealer and various casinos throughout Nevada for 15 years. The Sahara Tahoe Hotel and Casino was the best casino ever. And it was. Many of my friends in the casino business who work there agree with me when I say that. It was insane. Thousands of people partying their collective butts off for 24 hours a day and the casino employees partying right along with them. <laughs> Two of those employees who were part of the security force there became my good friends and remain so to this day. We've been friends for over 50 years. Interesting. They were, they were instrumental, by the way, in getting me into the casino business in the first place. Now, at that hotel, the House of Lords restaurant, considered to be one of the finest restaurants in the world by many, was located there, and the food and ambiance were second to none, and they treated us like royalty. As far as the show is concerned, they would cram about a thousand people over the maximum capacity into the showroom many of whom sat on the stairs to watch the show. Sat on the stairs. <laughs> sat on the stairs, folks, and was thrilled to do so. And Lake Tahoe is one of the most beautiful places in the world. Uh, I mean, when I, when I answered this question, I actually lived uh, on the other side of the hill. Um, but anyhow, uh, Tahoe people will tell you that you're not allowed to move there. Just bring your money, spend it, and leave. That's it. <laughs> Let's see if I got another interesting one for you guys.
This is a, a, another kind of interesting question. Um, and it is, did Elvis have any pre-performance rituals? Kind of interesting. He removed his glasses prior to performing, which is how I ended up with uh, three or four pair of them, by the way. To explain, before he went out on the stage, uh, he would hand his glasses to me just before he went on the stage. And just before his final number and preparing to help him get off the stage without getting mobbed, I, I, you know, I didn't have a pocket to stash the glasses in, so I put them on. When he saw me wearing them, he started laughing and says, makes you look good, keep them, uh, which I did. Another interesting part about that is that prior to a show, something interesting happened that uh, it's, it's not, wildly, not widely well known. On another occasion, I was present when Elvis met Elton John for the first time. Now, Tom Hewlett, who owned Concerts West, that's the company that took us out on tour, <clears throat> brought um, Elton backstage to meet Elvis. Now, Elvis, trying to be a nice guy to a fellow performer, said something like this. You know, Elton, even after all these years of performing, I still get nervous before I get on stage. I imagine that you get that way the, yourself. Elton repart, replied rather curtly, it seemed. Actually, Elvis, I don't. And that was the end of what might have been a beautiful friendship. Kind of interesting. What else we got here? I really do get lots of questions, folks. Here's an interesting one. This is from Charlene. She said, what would Elvis think about the way he is remembered today? all these years later, with all of the fan sites, the thousands of fans that honor him at the vigils, et cetera, et cetera. My answer is that he and I actually had a number of discussions about that very topic in a general way. <clears throat> he knew that he was really famous. He knew that he was the most famous guy on the planet. He really was. And that did not escape his attention. He knew that. The conversation was, he would say to me like, I got that, but in a way I don't understand it. Why me? 
it's like maybe God selected me for some reason to be the most famous person on the planet. But I don't understand for what purpose. Why couldn't it be someone else other than me? But it is me, and I don't really understand why. I told him that he was the greatest entertainer that ever lived for whatever reason. But maybe the reason is, is that he brought a lot of joy into the lives of millions of people. And maybe that's justification enough for his celebrity. I got a tone there, and I don't know what that means. <laughs> okay. Sam's joining back. Yeah, no I'm back. <laughs> You're back? I'm back. <laughs> so one of the things that I know a lot of people have never probably asked this question because they don't really think about it. Only Elvis Presley that a lot of us have ever seen are Elvis Presley is Elvis Presley on stage in his jumpsuits, his his wardrobe that he wore during performances. So, like, what type of attire or wardrobe did he wear outside of those concerts? Oh, golly. That was... Um... That's kind of a hard question. I can tell you what he didn't wear. He didn't wear jeans. And I asked him about that once. How come you don't wear jeans? And his answer was, you know, when I was growing up, I had to wear jeans because we didn't have anything else. But now I don't have to wear jeans. So I don't. And he didn't. Oh, there you are. That's a pretty clear-cut answer. <laughs> That's a pretty clear-cut answer. Okay. Yeah. Well, he was a fashionable type of guy in and off the stage. It's pretty safe to say. Yeah, he wore stuff that you and I would be uh, lynched for. <laughs> <laughs> He got away with wearing stuff like, you know, I mean, that turban, mm -hmm. the picture of him with the turban. Holy mm -hmm. cow. Mm -hmm. You know, that that happened at my uh, at my karate school. That story is so funny. I know. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he wanted to come out and see me at my karate school. So I says, yeah. Uh, uh, no, nah, we don't want you to come out here. No, I didn't say that at all. I said, yeah, come on. Heck yeah. So we had students there and we had my, uh, my kids were there. My, uh, my daughters, Lori and Chris. And um, <clears throat> Elvis came and he was wearing a karate gi. And on top of the karate gi, he had this really heavy coat you know, with, uh, uh, I mean, really, really heavy coat. And he had all his jewelry on. He was wearing the uh, that big um, ram's head gold necklace that he had gotten from um, um, the Hilton. Mm -hmm. 
and um, uh, on the top of his head is a turban. So everybody is wondering, what's up with the tournament, with the turban, you know? And I was thinking the same thing. What the he doing wearing a turban? Holy cow, you know? So I asked him. I said, Elvis, why are you wearing that turban? <laughs> and he went, well, you know, he said, I was uh, getting my way. I'm on the way out the door of my house, you know, to come over and visit you. And I saw myself in the mirror and my hair looked like crap. He didn't say crap. He said another word. But in any event, he said, my hair looked like crap. And I didn't want to go out in public with my hair looking like that. So I grabbed this turban and stuck it on my head. And I thought, uh, wow. <laughs> Somebody just has a turban just hanging around in their house, you know, right? <laughs> Available to be put in. But don't you do that? I mean, when you go out of the house and your hair looks like crap, don't you put on a turban? I put on a hat, absolutely. <laughs> Doesn't everybody do that? <laughs> so anyhow, that's the story of that. My, uh, my daughters were just absolutely fascinated, you know, with mm -hmm. the whole thing. Yeah. Elvis is there, you know, in that same picture, and he's explaining all of his uh, jewelry to my daughter, Lori. And he explained to her what every single piece of jewelry he was wearing was. Now, the whole history behind it. And she was just fascinated by mm. the whole thing. That picture is pretty famous, though. And it's also my favorite picture, of course. It's got my kids in it. so. And it's also in the book, the, the uh, Elvis Experience book. Yeah, it is. It is in that book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. No, I'm... Yeah, I'm behaving myself. I'm, no, I'm not playing in abandoned buildings. What? Again? Now. I suppose you had those people follow me again. Fine. Hey. This is Jimmy Farrow from Monty and the Farrow, and I want to thank all our subscribers. We have now passed 14,000 on our YouTube channel. But I wanna ask our subscribers to take the next step for us and become a full-fledged member of Monty and the Pharaoh. Yeah, that's right, folks. There's three different levels to choose from. There's free shirts, there's free autographs. Just check it out and become a member of Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty and the Pharaoh. Later.